Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, welcome to Star Wars Fun for Everyone, especially me. I am your host, Tom Sutton. We're going for a bit of a different vibe this evening. Uh, the situation in, in Studio Tom is uh, got a whole bunch of candles lit. We've got a bit of uh, Tibetan bowl music going on. I'm going for a kind of a meditative podcasting approach. So... Uh, Oh, let's see how that goes. Uh, yeah, it's been a little while since we recorded. Last time, of course, uh, we did the Revenge of the Sith um, commentary with Gabriel. That was good fun. Um, I would say there ha there haven't been any like really huge uh, chunks of Star Wars news since then. Um, just little bits and pieces. Um, of course, you know the countdown to uh, Mandalorian Season 2 is, I guess, the thing that's on people's minds the most in the Star Wars community. Um, here in Sweden, of course, the uh, the Mandalorian is being um, dropped on Disney Plus weekly instead of um, altogether, <laughs> which, of course, has made uh, some people here in Sweden kind of annoyed. Yeah, I mean... I obviously watched the the whole thing as it was coming out uh, everywhere else. Um, so I'm not so bothered by it. Um, but it's been kind of fun to uh, watch it, uh, to re-watch it, I should say, an episode at a time. Um, yeah, I, I would say that... Um, Yeah, since you know, since it, uh, as I've said before, I think it's really great, but um, I, I don't love it as much as other people, and I, not that hasn't really changed. There, uh, there were things um, you know in the episodes as I've been watching that I've kind of been able to appreciate a bit more. Um, but uh, some of the things that I think are just like okay still seem pretty just okay to me. But um, yeah, I'm still pumped for season two. Um, you know what I'm really pumped for actually is the Cassian Andor series. Um, I love this uh, this um, production approach that they've got for uh, the Mandalorian, where they are shooting in front of uh, what you would probably all know as the volume at this point, LED screens, um, uh, and that's you know they're basically using virtual sets. Um, and it is uh, very effective, uh, but I don't know, just the fact that I'm aware that it's a virtual set makes me kind of notice it or look at it while I'm watching the show, which is <laughs> a bit distracting somehow. Um, uh, but uh, as far as I know, the Cassian series is going to be filmed at Pinewood Studios a little bit. Uh, more in a kind of traditional way. Um, of course, we'll have to wait and see if that is positive or uh, or not. Um, but uh, I think it will be cool to see Star Wars TV filmed uh, in a in a way a little bit uh, closer to how the films are done. 
just to see uh, what they can do on that TG TV budget. Uh, if it works, great. If it doesn't, I guess we'll uh, deal with it then. But yeah, uh, Mandalorian Season 2 is only a couple of weeks away. That is good stuff. Uh, I guess what's been occupying my Star Wars uh, thoughts and enjoyment most recently is, in fact, the Clone Wars. Um, now, when that series first came out, I was uh, I was living in Japan when the film came out. Um, and I remember going with my style friend, Mickey the Hutt, and we, we enjoyed it. Like, it wasn't earth-shatteringly good, but, you know, both of us had been... Uh, kind of disappointed with the prequels, but we found that, you know, with not very particularly high expectations about, you know, an animated uh, TV show, you know, we were aware that it wasn't a real movie exactly, uh, but we were, um, we were pleasantly surprised. We came out of the theater smiling. It was good. Um, and then I think when the, when the, when the show itself launched, by that point, I'm not sure if I was still in Japan or... But I remember a lot of those early days are when I was um, teaching English in northern Queensland in Australia in a uh, town called Airlie Beach. And, um, uh, yeah, it was super exciting. I mean, I think anyone who's part of the, like, the original tri tri trilogy generation... And went through that like 16 years of dark ages, basically, between Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace. Like, it, the idea that we would have Star Wars on TV on a weekly basis was pretty... In, like, it was, it was super exciting. And um, uh, at that time... You know, living up in Ely Beach, I didn't have a TV. I just had my laptop. Um, so I was downloading those episodes and uh, watching them on my laptop and having a good time with it. I think as time went on, the um, the novelty of having like a good quality weekly Star Wars show, it, it wore off a little bit. Um, of course, that's not exact. That's not my favorite era. So um, the fact that, like, anytime there's battle droids, especially super battle droids on screen, I'm just kind of a bit like, eh, it's not my. It's not to me. It doesn't really feel like Star Wars. Um, but yeah, I was a fan of the show. I think as it, yeah, as I said, as it went on, the novelty wore off a bit, and I started to get the little bit. Um, <laughs> I would find myself getting a bit sleepy during episodes sometimes. Um, but uh, yeah, there were, of course, some real um, eye-opening, heart-racing uh, arcs in, uh, in, in the show, and th I enjoyed those. But um, a, key, a key thing is that I was watching these on my laptop. Um, now, when Disney Plus launched, I decided that, um, you know, we've got a bit of a gap in the Star Wars schedule right now. We've got, uh, you know, uh, Mandalorian Season 2. Um, but other than that, 
um, everything else we know about is kind of in the production phase. So it's going to be a while, you know, between uh, like I guess that Bad Batch will maybe they'll be announcing a start date, a launch date for th or yeah, a date for the first episode sometime after Mandalorian season two is over. That's my guess. Um, so there's, it's not that there's nothing on on the way, but um, it's going to be a long time till we see another film. That's for sure. Um, so what I thought I would like to do, because um, I see an entire generation of Star Wars fans who love the Clone Wars. It's it's like that's their Clone Wars. Uh, that's their Star Wars, I should say. And. <laughs> Just because of, you know, the amount of uh, internet griping and arguing that goes on. Um, when these people would, like, take shots at the, uh, the Disney-era films while at the same time saying, like, The Clone Wars is awesome, when, like, come on, dude, there are some great arcs, but there are some episodes that are pretty... You know, just okay. Um, it would, it would kind of make me. It would bother me. It would make me, it would annoy me in a way. Um, how can you criticize these imperfect but fantastic films while um, acting like this TV show that had like some pretty serious issues with it? Act, how can you act like that? That's all perfect. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I, because I dislike the Anakin in the prequels so much, you know, just even though Matt Lanter, as a lot of people have said before, Matt Lanter really makes the character of Anakin a thousand percent more relatable and likable than, um, than Hayden Christensen was able to, uh, it, despite that, I still, it's still that Anakin, so I never really felt I never fell in love with his parts of that that show. Um, but having said that, having said that, you know, with this big uh, gap in the um, in the schedule coming up, I thought, you know, what I would like to do is a chronological rewatch of the Clone Wars, and um, I have to say. What my expectations for this were that I would, um, I really thought that it would be a bit of a grind. Um, I felt that there would be stuff that I really liked, but especially maybe in the first uh, couple of seasons, um, that there would be probably be big chunks where I was kind of um, looking at my watch, checking my phone, and just waiting for the episode to end. Uh, and uh, so at this point, I am about... If you if you count the movie as four episodes, I believe that's how many episodes went in to make the movie. Um, yeah, if you count that as four, then I'm about 20 episodes in. Uh, into the chronological rewatch, and I have to say, I'm having an awesome time. 
Whoa, surprise. Um, now, why am I having an, an awesome time with it? Well, there's, I think there's a few re reasons. Number one, the 55-inch 4K TV. This is making a big difference, I have to say. You know, when I think about um, watching these episodes on my laptop back in the old days, I was getting a part of the experience. But when you watch it on a bigger, this isn't this isn't the big screen, but it's a bigger screen, and in you know uh, Disney, Disney Plus streams at 4K, so the quality is fantastic. It really feels much more cinematic. The scale feels bigger. Um, the um, the way things the shots are framed feels more dramatic. Uh, I think that just this this the, the on the visual side of things, the fact that I'm watching it in uh, you know the best possible visual quality that 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 I can. Uh, you know, short of actually having a, a cinema to watch it in. Um, I think this is really helping elevate it. You know, when you see just that, when you see a ship in that star field and the, the blackness of space is really black and those pinpoints of light are really shining out of that blackness. Mm, that's Star Wars goodness, man. I love it. Uh, what else? What else is causing me to enjoy it? Um, I think that you know we've I've done my uh, prequel rewatch recently, um, and it hasn't like turned. It <laughs> absolutely didn't turn me around on them or anything. Um, uh, things I didn't like, I still didn't like. But um, I think that. My favorite thing about the prequels, and I've said, talked about this a bunch of times, being the overall arcing story of uh, Palpatine's wonderful machinations and his intelligence and his step-by-step um, -step dismantling of the Jedi Order and taking over of the Republic. It's so well done. And um, to think about this era being or the you know the clone wars tv series as being this big chunk of time during which this was happening it's pretty exciting and i would say that in terms of the color palette it's still that prequel kind of colorful look that i don't feel is really star warsy so that's not i'm not loving that still but um if you you know if you take out the kind of the awkward dialogue and the awkward um, performances, because I I mean I can see like there is some stuff in this uh, first season where I can feel a little bit like eh, that feels like there's the actors are still finding the character or still warming up a bit or you know not just the the not just the voice actors but everybody invo involved with the show you know because i know like there were some line readings or like quote-unquote jokes that i was like i don't think this would uh, get through to the keeper <laughs> it wouldn't get past the keeper i'm, I'm sorry um 
on later seasons. But it's still not the like groan inducing dialogue of um episode two, for example. So I think that's working much better for me. Um but one of the big things I would say that is really uh helping me appreciate the Clone Wars on this uh run through is the fact that I'm watching it chronologically. Um it's actually a re- really so on on its original run where I guess I mean at least 80% of it or even more was chronological basically but it's still there was still there was jumping around of course and that was one of the biggest uh criticisms leveled at the show um I think that when it was jumping around like that it was much harder to get invested in the characters it was harder to track their um their progress and development as people and it was hard to feel like you were watching this um kind of these epic galactic events unfold really um it it felt a bit like yeah just like once upon a time this thing happened but now watching things chronologically I'm finding it much more exciting and much more uh, cohesive. Um, I would sometimes hear people on other podcasts or see people online who had who felt, who were very like uh, big fans of and attached to the clones, especially uh, Captain Rex, Rex, for example. I, I didn't really get that. I just felt like, yeah, it's fine, I guess. But um, now I feel like I'm seeing these characters really spend time together and grow together. And um, that's been really, really great. I'm really liking it. Um, Even some of the episodes that I kind of look back and go like, yeah, I don't think that was one of my favorites. I'm actually having a great time with it. I mean, some of the the highlights so far... um, so one thing is that like so Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> the <laughs> the infamous Jar Jar Binks. Again, I'm not the first person to say this, but I think we got a much better version of him in the Clone Wars. The physical humor was just more on. Um, he was more likable uh, in in the Clone Wars, and so uh, his kind of goofy goofiness was kind of more endearing. Um, unfortunately, I've just seen the episode where they stopped using uh, Ahmed Best for whatever reason as the voice and that whoever did the... whoever did Jar Jar's voice um, in those episodes did not nail it. But, yeah, especially there's there's an episode called Bombad Jedi, which is, which is maybe the best Jar Jar episode ever. I don't know. There's more Jar Jar to come, I know. Let's see what happens. Um, I'm getting more invested in the Anakin Obi-Wan relationship. That's that's cool. Um, it's really fun to see um, you know, since we've seen Ahsoka in so many uh different ages at this point. Um 
And just to go back to where it all began with her, um, yeah, those the nicknames Snips and Sky Guy and whatever, it, it was pretty abrasive at the time, I remember, but when you know where the character is going to end up, this is, it all feels like part of the of her uh, complete story and not a problem. Um, so I'm really enjoying Ahsoka. That's great. Um, C-3PO seems weirdly short. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has ever, has ever thought that. Um, great episodes. Lair of Grievous. Really like kind of like a pretty spooky or grotesque episode i would say um you know people say that that the 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 show um matured as it went but there's some there's some tough stuff in that first season actually um but yeah i'm really enjoying it i'm glad i'm doing this and um you know i'm just i'm just happy to have disney plus I know I'm such a dork, like, I should be more cynical about fucking corporations. <laughs> but um, the feeling of pressing the on button on my TV remote and seeing that blue logo come up and just knowing that hours upon hours of Star Wars are just a button click away, I'm s- I feel so good. I mean, and... Um, so nice to just like you know I've got my little episode checklist so I just like plop myself down on the sofa look okay which one's next put that on it's fantastic I'm having such a good time um, uh, let's see if this continues maybe it could it could be that uh, after two or three seasons I'm starting to get a bit like <gasps> All right, here's more uh, blamity blamity and lightsaber swinging and whatever, but um, I don't know. Just I think there are certain things that they got really right from the beginning, like the the way the ships move is very it's like it's just like how you like um, like how how they move in the in the movies. The kind of the pace. The way, like when ships fly over the quote-unquote camera, obviously it's it's animated, but uh, they are doing certain things to to reproduce uh, these uh, the camera feel. But when ships fly over the camera, and the, you get this camera shake, um, it's great. Yeah, it's really great. Um, nice to have it. Also, when you're playing it on a on a TV rather than a little laptop, you get uh, a bit more of that amazing. Um, Skywalker sound design, fantastic. Mm. So I feel like if I'm enjoying it at this point in the first season where, um, you know, there's not a huge number of episodes that people would number amongst the kind of like must-watch episodes, but I'm already having a great time. So once we get to Mortis or uh, Umbara or... um, I'm a big fan of the like brain eaters <laughs> episodes, that kind of stuff. Uh, well, maybe I'm, it's going to be even better, which is pretty exciting. Um, 
It makes it puts me like when they announced Bad Batch uh, as the next animated show um, coming down the pipeline. I was not super pumped just because a like I liked Clone Wars, but it was it was not a big deal to me. Um, and I also just felt like uh, it's just going to be more of that basically. But now that I'm having such a fun time with this rewatch, I'm I'm a bit more optimistic. And I mean, of course, Clone Wars ends at um, you know around and just after Order Six Six Order Six 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 Order Six 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 Order Sixty Six. Um, but of, and the Bad Batch will take it will pick up right around there. Uh, which means that it will be uh, stretching into the kind of Empire era, which means classic Star Wars designs and um, could be super cool, actually. So let's see what happens there. Uh, another thing that's been on my kind of in my Star Wars thoughts is that um, I have been uh, reading J.W. Rinsler's making of the Empire Strikes Back book. Uh, very uh, generously given to me by my brother for my 40th birthday. It's taken me this long to really dig into it because I was uh, reading the making of Star Wars uh, first. So, uh, yeah, so now I'm about halfway through this. Um, it's it's awesome. These books, seriously, if you're a, star, a, a serious Star Wars fan, these are must-haves. They are so detailed and so such a pleasure just to look at, you know, the behind the scenes photography and concept art and early script versions and stuff. It's totally amazing. Um, but the main point that I want to talk about tonight is that... Um, uh, we live in an era, you know, now when, um, you know, news spreads the fastest it's ever spread. And um, what that means for the production of Star Wars films is that um, obviously those productions are, uh, un you know, they're very secretive. Um, not a lot gets out, but you do hear you do hear stuff getting out, of course. Now, uh, almost every one of the uh, newest Star Wars projects have um, had some kind of behind-the-scenes shenanigans, or controversy, or conflict going on. Um, and what you tend to see is that, of course, it's it. I mean, this is not unique to Star Wars, but any kind of gossip that happens is um, going to get people talking. And um, so it get, that stuff gets talked about a lot. But when you, when you hear about behind-the-scenes issues on Star Wars films, you actually uh, you see people start to uh, you know run in circles saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Um, so... What was interesting to me about uh, reading 
about the the production of the Empire Strikes Back was that it had huge <laughs> problems. I mean, um, of course, Irvin Kirshner. I, I realize now I mispronounced his name as Ivan one or two episodes ago. Very embarrassing. Irvin Kirshner is remembered extremely fondly these days. He made not only possibly the best Star Wars movie of all time, but he uh, made one of the best films of all time, full stop. Um, and he's a hugely likable guy, as far as I can tell. So I've never heard anyone have a b bad word to say about him. Um, but the, what was happening during the production of that film is that um, he had a, a way of working um, that was not the most efficient. And the uh, there were issues like... Um, so one of the main stages actually burned down during production. Like the largest one, I think, burned down, which screwed up their whole schedule. And also the uh, the blizzard in Norway, where they were f when they were filming the the Hoth stuff, that also caused big problems. But besides those two things, um, you know, Kirshner had a way of doing things where he would kind of apparently had a very like you know kind of he would try things out and wait till it uh, really like okay that feels right there you know instead of kind of going like. Here's what we're going to do. Bam, done, next. You know, not the most efficient. But, I mean, the results speak for themselves. He did incredible work. Um, but, yeah, what that all meant was that the, the film ended up being almost, like, I think around a month over schedule <laughs> at one point. Now, you think about the costs per day on a big film like that and then you think about multiplying that by 30 i think it went even over 40 days of a over schedule and um the fact that this was not um funded by a studio this was george lucas taking the money he he owned on the first star wars film Using that money to go to banks to get loans, you know, this was his um, collateral or, or whatever, I guess. So he actually went to banks or a bank, I don't know the exact details, to um, to get a loan, you know, based on the fact that like, okay, I've got this much money and I'm making the next Star Wars movie. So you have to assume that it's probably going to do pretty well. Um, although, I mean, it, what the book points out is that like now we live in a franchise era where each you can actually build on each film and it, it, like if you look at Marvel like it built and built and built until bam Endgame was the biggest movie of all time but at that time it was generally that you would have a hit movie and if you did a sequel that sequel would do significantly less money now uh, they were aiming for something pretty special so um Maybe they were hoping to avoid that. But they, yeah, like George took out huge loans to um, for the budget of the film. Um, 
And uh, so it was his own money going into it. And um, as the film was going more and more over time, he, he and the producers were having to go to the bank t- or banks to borrow more and more money. And then, of course, that can't go on forever. And the banks were starting to go like, no, that's it. You're done. Like, like we're, we're not going to, we can't lend, lend you more money. Um, and um, I think there was some last minute stuff where they um, they managed to refinance or shift something over here or someone stepped in as a, you know, something. And uh, so the money was there and they could finish the movie but that the just like on the first Star Wars they got close to being shut down by Fox and on this one they got close to getting shut down again because they were running out of money um, so there was that you know you can imagine if imagine if that story had gotten out um, in this day and age you know like Star Wars production in danger of shutting down due to lack of money. Like, that would have been a million YouTube videos. Uh, There were other things. Like, there's an amazing section in this book where apparently, I think Kirshner had a tape recorder on him. And they just, like, put a tape in there, hit record on the tape recorder so that it would record, um, yeah, just everything that was going on on the set that day. And um, apparently the Bespin set was a real bastard to get right and it was a really hard scene to get right. And there's one, uh, one. it's amazing just to see like, you know, it's not it's not someone going, well, well, this is pretty much what happened. It's literally like a word, it's a transcription of that tape. So you, hear every, you read everything that was said on that set, you know. And um, a lot of the, 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 the details of what happened in the, the, you know, in the carbonite freezing chamber on Bespin, you know, a lot of that stuff, it wasn't that way uh, in the original script and they kind of workshopped it until it, it, they could um, get it where they wanted it. Um, but there's one section there where um, I think Harrison Ford was not, totally sold on something so he and Kirshner were working it out okay how should we do this wouldn't it be better if I said this and blah 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 blah. and they decide all right we're good yep this is better let's do it like this and then like Carrie Fisher comes up and and he's like how come you guys are like doing all this stuff when I'm not here like am I just a bimbo in the like bimbo that you can just like ignore and not uh, not tell anything like not involved in any of these decisions and apparently she she had gone to Harrison mad about it and yelled at him because I mean they had a romantic you know past at that point um and then Harrison got upset because Carrie was yelling at him but it wasn't his fault really I mean they got to do this work on the scene you know and if she's not there she's not there and so he got upset that Carrie was yelling at her and then after Carrie calmed down, she realized she shouldn't have yelled at Harrison, but then said, like, I don't know how this scene is going to go because he's pretty upset with me. And I just like, 
Oh, imagine if this stuff, um, yeah, like if this got into the, um, this got out and into the uh, Star Wars news and rumor mill, you know, stars having big arguments on set and blah, blah, you know, Princess Leia, am I just a bimbo, you know, um, this is, this would be stuff to have people panicking, I mean, Mark Hamill broke his hand shooting that uh, the shot when um, he goes like he, on Hoth, where he like his speeder crashes and he has to kind of duck in to quickly grab his uh, lightsaber or the the um, the grappling hook or whatever before the ATST foot crushes it. When he just does that leap away from the speeder, he broke his hand, and he got so upset, like because he's first child had just been born and um uh yeah you know it was one of those things where i couldn't you have done used a body double like i've just like my first child was just born like today or last night or whatever um and they they wanted to use the real thing they wanted they wanted to use mark but then on that day he broke his hand and apparently at one point ordered everyone out of his dressing room because he was so pissed off. Uh, yeah, and... Um, yeah, apparently the whole vibe at one point during production was really bad and really low. So, um, I, 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 I bring all this up just to uh, encourage people when there, when rumors come out about issues behind the scenes, it's all right. This is part of filmmaking, apparently. <laughs> like, I mean, think about your own workplace. And then imagine that across across the globe, there are literally millions of people wanting to know what's going on there. And you think about the all those little disagreements and whatever that happened between people imagine if all of that got re reported on you know it's not the end of the world it's not a big deal but um yeah for all of us as star wars fans we kind of feel like it is in a way anyway let's all keep keep our heads on when it comes to that kind of stuff all right here we go it's uh we're at uh, that time of the evening. It's time to uh, do the next scene in uh, my scene-by-scene -scene Rise of Skywalker uh, commentary and reaction. So here we go. All right. So we left off um, with uh, Ray kind of um, coming out of that um, the chamber on the, uh, the old Death Star 2. After coming face to face with um, Evil Ray, Dark Side Ray, um, the Wayfinder has just skidded. Excuse the burps. Oh, last episode was chip crunching. That was burps. Very unprofessional. Um, yes, the Wayfinder skids across the floor, and Mr. Kylo Ren is there to pick it up. Well, I'm actually I'm gonna blow this candle out for more for more darkness. Hang on. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, yeah, here we go. We're gonna kick it from here. A big, uh, a big moment in this movie for sure. Yes, Kylo Ren. Ah, I just love him. <laughs> Ray's a bit uh, nervous. This is interesting. So, Ray. Okay, I'm gonna pause it. Ray ignites the lightsaber before before he does. Now, I'm not saying that people are wrong about, um, you know, the whole Palpatine thing not really being set up properly. They, it's true. But there's little stuff like this, little things like this, where you go like, you know, it, she's essentially good throughout the three films, so I'm not sure how much danger there is of her turning to the dark side. But there are little moments like this that show an aggressiveness. Um, and I, I think that's a nice touch. Um, yeah, great to see. I mean, both of them just, you know, I'm very affected by getting things vi correct visually. And um, I mean, second Death Star, throne room, Ray looks amazing, Kylo looks amazing. I dig it. I like this scene. Man, he's got a good cape. I think I'm gonna... I need to go for more capes. I have an amazing poncho that basically looks like a cape. But it's like a three-quarter length. It's a little bit of a Lando Calrissian length. Hmm. Something I'm... Uh, okay, this is the first time I'm playing this on Disney+. Plus, So I've got my eye... A little bit on the 4K presentation. Yeah, it looks good. It's interesting. You really see, um, you can really see the film green. Hmm. Kylo with the Wayfinder crush. Hmm. Now, I wouldn't say this is like. This is not one of the best, like, lightsaber fights of the saga. Nothing really wrong with it or anything. It just, um... It's the last one of the saga. So you kind of, um... Maybe would have liked it to be a bit of a standout. But it's just, it's good, you know. Got bloody Dominic Monaghan. I don't know, I don't like that character. I like him. Got, oh! Greg Grunberg. Dude. People like to make fun of Snap Wexley a little bit, but I just today listened to an amazing interview with him on Seriously Now. If you're listening to this because you're a friend of mine, carry on. Great. But if you're listening to this because you actually want to listen to a good Star Wars podcast, do yourself a favor, as the great Molly Meldrum once said, and uh, listen to Talking Bay 94. It is a brain-meltingly good Star Wars podcast. Um, is his name Brian Wernerdy? Sorry, dude, but your name has nerdy in it and you're doing a Star Wars podcast. That's too perfect. Um, but um, he, um, yeah, he has, uh, I think he, uh, what was he, like an editor on Fandango magazine or something? Anyway, he has managed to get... Um, access to uh yeah behind the scenes people and 
in front of the scenes people from the Star Wars franchise and he is a really um, thoughtful and insightful interviewer, really knows his stuff, really passionate about Star Wars and um, he, some of the, I mean, he, 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 he has interviews with uh, some of the like really big names behind the scenes. Um, but uh, the, the one I listened to most recently was an interview with Greg Grunberg, who plays Snap Wexley. I wasn't... Um, people like to make fun of Snap a little bit. I think partly, you know, it's just like like Greg Grunberg is J.J. Abrams' best friend. And anyone who, like, lands a, jo- lands a role in Star Wars just because he's mates with the director, um, people may be going to feel a bit uh, jealous about that. Now, having, uh, so I, uh, yeah, I wasn't like expecting the world um, from that particular episode, but he's a hugely likable guy, um, really loves Star Wars. And, um, you know, when you, when you hear people who have grown up with it, who then get to be in it, and you get to hear their um, excitement and just disbelief that they're like, a part of Star Wars now. It's such a it's so fun. It's such a joy to hear. So uh, I'm turned around. I'm a fan of the Grumberg now. Now I'm going to be much sadder when Snap gets shot out of the sky. Although he says that he, as far as he's concerned, there's a ch- yeah. He he would like he would like it that if his car- if there was some mix up and it wasn't actually Snap's uh, X-wing that gets blown out the sky in that moment on the Battle of Exegol, but anyway, let's continue, we've got Maz Kanata on screen, oh yeah, it's this thing with like, Leia is like feeling, she's feeling that big things are going down, she can, uh, through her connection with her son, but holy macaroni, this set, these huge beams uh, from the Death Star to, with the waves crashing all around them, I, uh, it's fantastic. I think it's one of the most uh, like cool and dramatic settings for a lightsaber battle that we've seen. I love it. Um, and just the work, ILM's work on this water. I mean, it's 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 a miracle. Like every shot. In this sequence is believable like uh, the, you know even though the water is obviously not it's <laughs> it's not there you know but it looks so real I like I mean Daisy's Daisy is like going for it she's really f- vicious these scenes with the uh, Finn kind of doing his Ray shouting thing definitely ring a little differently since uh, that stuff, you know, the interview came out uh, with him. But I just got to, this, wham, that backflip she does. And then the superhero landing. Star Wars, take a bow. I mean, that backflip she does with the crashing waves between her and Kylo. Love it. It's got the Skywalker's saber. Mm. 
and uh, the the the, um, the concept art. If you look at ah, this shot here was in the trailer, and I remember making StarWars.net, making fucking fun of my man Kylo, saying that this was like he looked really dorky and stupid in this scene. I no, no, ma'am. I love that shot of him emerging from the crashing water. His hair's all plastered to his head. He's kind of like uh, nonchalantly drops his saber into a different grip. 10 out of 10. Love it. Yeah, this is a this is a trailer moment, this shot of Ray here. Um, yeah, this is cool, like using the, the force to stop the blades. I'm not sure that it, like... Yeah, look at that. You see the, the, this, like... It's almost trail coming off the blade. That's very cool. I mean, it's... You know that that moment in The Force Awakens where um, Poe shoots that uh, bolt at Kylo Ren and Kylo Ren freezes the blaster bolt in midair? And for sure, like, every Star Wars fan in the world, when they saw that, went like, Whoa! You know, it's it was one of those magic things that... Mm. you had never seen before, but as soon as you saw it, you went like, that's Star Wars. Like, that fits, like, it fits the, the rules of the, of the world. Um, it's a cool, like, it's, it feels classic, but fresh and new. It's awesome. Now, this, like, thing with them kind of, like, stopping the blades with the force it is new. I don't think we've seen it before, but I just remember it just felt like, eh. Yeah they're, yeah, they're fighting. It didn't, like, jump out at me at, as, like, wow, that's a new thing. But, of course, you know, now when, uh, when we're now looking at, uh, at the whole thing under a microscope, um, it is it is a new thing, and it is cool. Interesting, that Ray, Ray still has that blaster strapped onto her. I didn't really notice that. She's not uh, reaching for that. But anyway... This is where you see, like, Ray is basically, she's run out of energy. She's taking these big swings at him. But it's starting to look like she's losing. Man. I mean, I think they were freezing when they were when they were shooting this because they're, you know... It's a combination of, of uh, CGI water and real water that's splashing all over the place. Ah, oh, these stabs from jo John Williams on those saber hits. All right, this is lovely. Like, seeing Leia in silhouette like that, it makes me think like, um, yeah, that was a bit of, uh, again, working around the unfortunate facts of the situation, but it's cool. I buy it. But it's like, yeah, you hear her voice whispering Ben, and you just see Kylo Ren just turn... And I didn't notice this when I first was watching it, but she's already holding Han's medal in her hand as she lies down here. Now, something about how she, she's in silhouette, you can't see much, but as she lies down here, I know they said, like, we're not going to CGI her. That looks like CG to me. I don't care. It's fine. I'm not like, oh, you said you weren't going to use CG. But then, uh. That's not what I'm saying. But it does, it does look like that to me. Okay. It's oh, but I just love it, you know. 
Ray. It's fucking the symbolism is bang on here. You know, he drops that red lightsaber. She grabs it. She stabs him with the the. It's it's symbolically it's important that she stabs him with the red one there because that's where she's um. Yeah, she's operating out of a out of a kind of a a darkness or her destructive tendencies. Symbolically, that's bang on. Now, ah, this moment where, like, basically, like, we're watching Leia's last moments here. And um, some clever monkey on online pointed out that um, R2 is present when you were first introduced to Leia on the Tantive Four. R2 is present when Leia is born in Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. And he's present here in her last moments. Come on. Come on. That's good. That is good. Ray senses it. Whoa. This, I mean, this saber stab. They didn't hold back on the gore, really. It's like pretty gross meat hole <laughs> that Kylo's got in him. Man, this isn't it. It's been a bit. I, it's been a bit of a gap between like scenes, you know, doing the, the little commentary that I'm doing here. It's been nice to have a little break, but I'm 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 all in here, man. I'm all in. This line is fucking awesome. Well, no, we're not up to that line yet, but yeah. Ray knows that this that this whole conflict is all of this is wrong. She goes for the healing. That I felt like the the you know the setting up of her healing abilities with the worm was a little bit um, too obvious um, a setup for something that would come later. So here we have the payoff. Um, but man, I just think her and um, her and Adam Driver's performance here is ten out of ten. But this is the line. I did want to take your hand. Ben's hand. Ah, oh! chills. I love it. Kylo is just fa he's facing. How wrong he's been with all this. Ray's jumping in. He's a TIE fighter. See you later, buddy. Thanks for the TIE fighter. <laughs> but that looks sick, man. Oh, I just like... Seriously, even if I just sat and didn't listen... Like, didn't hear any of the dialogue or anything. Just like... I just love what, how Star Wars looks. To me, it's like cramming 800 classic paintings into my eyeballs per minute. It's um, fantastic. This, uh, yeah, this cloth that's over layer, is that CG? Seems a little weird. Ah, this is a bit of a heartbreaker. I just remember, I remember like in the cinema when you see like, you see Chewie's reaction to, to Leia's death. It was almost like... Everyone, like, everyone in the cinema couldn't handle it. You know, like, it's one thing, you know, you... 
this kind of thing of like, well, humans have these emotions and they have these kind of complex emotions and we get sad about this and happy about the other things and, and whatever. Um, but when you see like, for example, like, like if a dog's owner died and the dog, it looks sad, then people's just like their hearts break, you know, cause these, these, that kind of simplicity and that cause purity is like touching in a way. And, um, so I think it's a little bit like that when you see like Chewie like fall to his knees when he hears that Leia has died. And that's the last of his like his crew, his old friends um, gone. And uh, it's very touching. Now, uh, we are going to do this scene. Here we go. This might be my favorite part of the film. Uh, we start on this shot with uh, Kylo's standing on this piece of the wrecked Death Star looking out over the ocean. It's a beautiful looking shot. And you just hear that voice. Hey, oh, come on. I remember being in the cinema just going, you're kidding me. Han Solo is back. This is amazing. But this, this, ah, great, great stuff. I miss you, son. It's great. It's great. It's great. Kylo's still trying to convince himself that he's not Ben Solo anymore, that he's this, he's this vicious fascist <laughs> ruler. It was weird. Okay. There, I'm going to pause pause it right there. I saw people, like, I've seen people, like, argue and stuff over, like, yeah, was it, it was, but that doesn't mean, like, Han was a force ghost or was Leia using the last of her strength to, like, manifest Han as a blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, it's explained, like, in the dialogue. Kylo says, you're just a memory. And Han says, your memory. Now, in The Last Jedi, Luke says to Kylo Ren, like, if you strike me down, I'll always be with you, just like your father. And it, I think Luke knows that, you know, when Kylo killed Han Solo, he thought that that was his final step to becoming this dark lord that he wanted to be. But what it was is that was actually the biggest mistake of his life and he's been just tortured with regret and remorse over what he did and his memories of what he did since then this mem the memory of his father has been with him i mean we've all been in this situation where you made a decision and you're not sure if you made the right one or not and you replay the, the situation again over and over again, or that decision, you replay it over and over and over again in your head to try to work out, well, did I do the right thing or was that a big mistake? And I think that, you know, what we're seeing is the final time that, uh, that Kylo was confronted with this memory of his father. 
and um and it's it's so powerful that it's it feels like he's right there let's continue so sad to think like you know he's killed his own father and now his mother is gone too bam now from what we can tell it's very likely that this this kind of moment that he's having with with Han, if C Carrie Fisher hadn't died, he probably would have been having this moment with Leia instead. That's not for sure. It's a bit of a conjecture, but I, I'm pretty sure that's prob that's how it would have gone. Um. And that's tragic. But the beauty of how things have turned out is that we get this mirror image of what happened in The Force Awakens. We get the same dialogue happening again. Just the way we all do when we've made a decision that we're not sure is the right one. You replay what you said, what you did again and again. And in, in, a, way, that's, in a way, that's what he's doing here. Kylo is, um, he says the same words. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. And the hand, ah, the hand on his face. You do. And here it is, the best moment. Oh, chills. Kylo's so twisted up, he can't bring himself to say it. But the memory, but Han Solo's memory knows exactly what he wants to say, which is, Dad, I love you. And he drops the, I know. Amazing. Oh. I just, mm, every time I watch this movie, that, that moment just does it for me and Kylo launches this that saber and everything it represents into the ocean and when he turns around he is Ben Solo welcome back Ben isn't that f amazing all right we are gonna leave it there a good place to leave it with uh yeah one of my favorite moments in the Star Wars saga I'll say it again. The uh, the sequel trilogy, not perfect, but damn, like extremely wonderful, I think. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you've heard the candle light somehow. 
through the microphone. Uh, it's been a fun time to talk Star Wars on here again. Sometimes I feel like if there's not there's not not not, not no specific news or new things coming out that I want that I should talk about, then like I shouldn't record. But um, there's always something to say when it comes to Star Wars. All right, thank you so much for listening. I am Tom Sutton, and this is Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. Ah!